Welcome to the Grace Vineyard Podcast, where we are building growing communities of worshipers who are becoming like Christ, empowered to do His work. We hope you enjoy this message. We are going to open um, the Bible up and talk a little bit about some... We're going to connect with what we spoke about last week. Who was here last week? So, do you remember we, we begin ta- looking at the stories of a couple people, Thomas, and one of the apostles, and Peter, one of the apostles, in their experience right after what we call Easter weekend. They wouldn't have called it Easter. Easter is actually a, sort of named after a pagan goddess or something, so um, it just sort of happened in our culture, and that's what people understand. Anyway, after the, the events, though, of Jesus' crucifixion, and resurrection, um, a lot was going on, and a lot wasn't going on in the lives of the people that were following Jesus. But Jesus had chosen them to be the ones that would take his message to the ends of the earth, that he would use them to make disciples just like them, who would be very much like Jesus in their activity who would form into little gatherings that Jesus called the ecclesia. We call that church in English. It's more than a religious gathering. In fact, the word that's in the Bible that gets translated church is more of a um, city group that has authority in the city. People, citizens coming together to make decisions that would impact a community. That's the word that they chose. If you don't know this, the the writers of the Bible were masters of taking words out of the Roman world and converting them into words for the work of the church, words like apostle, which had to do with one cent to represent the Roman government to a new colony. Well, they just converted that and said, yeah, we're going to be apostles sent to represent the government of heaven to a new culture. That's just kind of for free. There's all sorts of interesting things, though, about the language of the New Testament. Anyway, these guys were called to do that. And by, if you read the stories, you know, we've got what we call the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, which tell the story of Jesus. And then we've got another book written by Luke, you know, Matthew, Mark, Luke. He follows up his first volume with the second volume that we call the book of Acts, the Acts of the Apostles. It's the story of what happened in the church after Jesus has now died, been resurrected, ascended to the Father, and the people are now doing the work. They're on the field. They're in the game. The followers of Jesus are doing the mission. It's been prepared, and now they're on it. By the 17th chapter of Acts, we're at two, three generations down, and these people are going and spreading slowly farther and farther away from Jerusalem, and telling the stories of Jesus, inviting people to follow him, having holy hellos, healing the sick, um, gathering church communities. They get to a city in Acts 17 called Thessalonica. You can still find it on the map today. And they go to a Jewish synagogue that's there, a small gathering, and begin to preach about the Messiah. There are Greek people there. Gentiles, and there are Jewish people there. And there's a great response, as there's often been. Um, The Jewish leaders, as they often do in these stories, get very jealous that so many people are showing up to hear now this guy named Paul and his missionary team 
that they go looking for them. They find the house of a guy that had just let them come into his house. His name's Jason. And they grab Jason and drag him to the city officials in Thessalonica. And they say these words, these men that have turned the whole world upside down are now here. And then Jason let them into their house. And I said all that to that you hear that phrase, that these men who've turned the whole world upside down, they had a reputation already. Without Facebook, by the way, no one was, no one posted anything. Yeah, surprising, huh? Actually, um, Mark Zuckerberg wasn't there yet. You didn't know that. Okay. He's old, but not. Anyway, Bill Gates hadn't, hadn't um, stolen the operating system for MS-DOS. Anyway, uh, <laughs> someone got that joke. These people have turned the world upside down. We're going to talk about how God uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things. Certainly, it was extraordinary. But we saw last week that Peter, who was a major leader, failed bitterly. He was, he was very ordinary. He was probably illiterate, by the way. He was a fisherman from a little podunk village. Probably couldn't read or write. The letter that we have in the New Testament, he probably dictated to someone who knew how to write. He's just an ordinary guy. And he is so ordinary that he denies that he even knows Jesus on the night of his crucifixion. He's an utter failure. Jesus shows up, and um, Thomas isn't there at one of the gatherings, the first night that Jesus rose from the dead, Sunday night. We would call it Easter Sunday. And Thomas tells his friends, they told him, Jesus is alive. He's like, yeah, no. Um, he's, you know what? Until I see him, I put my hand right where the nails were. I'm, I'm going to put my fist right where the sword pierced his side, and you know that's not going to happen, so I don't believe it. So these are the people that are going to turn the world upside down. And it turns out none of them, and we're going to read some stories of them, none of them understood Jesus' teaching, and none of them believed that he would rise from the dead. And then after he rose from the dead, most of them didn't even believe that he rose from the dead. These are really ordinary people. And somehow, God's, Jesus chose them. These are the ones I'm going to use to turn the world upside down. So if you are kind of ordinary, you're in the right place. Apparently, apparently, when Jesus, the Father, the Holy Spirit, chooses people to partner with to accomplish his purposes for this planet, He's not too concerned if they have their theology all figured out. He's not too concerned if their faith is even all that high. He must be really confident in himself. Because he chose them, and it happened. And we're here today because of it. So, when we were talking last week, we... I compared some of their situation with the situation of the church in America right now. So you'll remember that, and I'll remind you. So these guys are fearful, they're disillusioned, they're confused, they don't know what's next, and they don't know what to do. And I, I let you know that in the church in America right now, the pandemic has accelerated the trends that were in place where it looks like the, the church of Jesus Christ is not doing all that well. And I told you that one statistic... Uh, three to one statistic right now, for every one pastor that's entering ministry, three are leaving in America. 
So that's not, that's not like probably a good sign. They're confused, they're fearful, they're disillusioned. I told you one survey from churches that now that the lockdowns are over, I don't know if COVID's completely over, but it's greatly reduced from where, you know, where we were, right? Um, churches that are returning to meeting have attendance in their services from somewhere around, was it 36 to 66% of what they had before. So if a church had 100 people showing up, they might have 30 people showing up right now. So churches are like, oh, what's going on? You know, are we going to make it? Some churches are closing. Communities like this that exist to be the representation, the manifestation of Jesus and his kingdom in their communities, the ecclesia, the ones called out to represent another government to the people of the cities that they're in, are fearful, they're they're disillusioned, and they don't know what to do next, just like these disciples. That's the kind of the connection I was making to say, doesn't matter, because Jesus is at work. And I suggested to us as a community that we are going to shift our thinking from being a community amongst all these church communities that are trying to survive to being a mindset of a church planning team. Church planning teams, if you don't know what that is, that's when some, you know, two families say, I feel like I'm called to go to another city and start a church. And they pray and you send them and they, they land there like a beachhead, and they get a job or two, and they start meeting in a home, and they start evangelizing, and they realize, you know what, if this is going to go, it's up to all of us. We are all in. I'm going to go share Jesus with everyone I can, and there's some kids showing up, so I'm going to go serve in a Sunday school program that doesn't exist yet. We're going to make it happen, you know, and they have a house, and then they maybe meet in two homes, and they have some home groups, and eventually they pool their money together and say, let's rent a building, let's have some Sunday services, let's have a community. They gather together, they worship together, eventually someone picks up a guitar, and then they add a drummer, and now they have a band because they got a drummer and a guitar, right? And then someone throws down some money and they go to wherever they can afford it and they buy a little sound system. That's how churches are planted all over the, all over the world, right? Communities gathering. And I said to you, I want us to think of ourselves as a church planning team because when we think of that, we'll discover that we have more resources in our hands than about any church planning team has ever had in the history of church planning teams. We probably have, last time I looked at the database, about 100 households that call this their home. We have incredible worship bands. We have a multi-million dollar building that we own. We have a children's facility. We have an amazing children's, youth, uh, children's pastor, youth pastor. We have all the stuff we need to plant a church in Oceanside. So I'm telling you, let's switch our thinking and say we are all in. We're going to bring Grace Vineyard to Oceanside and plant a church. Multiply this thing so that we can flourish and thrive, not for us, but for the mission that Jesus has called us to. So we're reminding ourselves of what he's called us to do. Let's go back and remind ourselves of this story. You with me? This is going to work? Hey, Lord, we're, we're talking about your story here, and we could really use your help to learn. So, Holy Spirit, you've been here. You've been touching us. You've been healing. We thank you for that. Now we ask that you give us faith to hear what you would say from the scriptures that tell the story of Jesus and his disciples. We want to learn from you. Come, Holy Spirit. So just remind you the story. Here's how it goes down. Sunday morning comes. Jesus has told everyone, I'm going to be arrested. The Jewish leaders are going to hand me over to the Roman officials. They're going to hang me on a cross. I'm going to die. Anyone who puts their faith in me will be saved. Three days later, I'm going to rise from the dead, and I want to meet you after that. Very clearly, he told all the people that. Sunday morning shows up. He's died 
on the cross and put in a tomb. So a group of women, Mary Magdalene, um, another Mary, a Joanna, a number of women, show up early in the morning at the tomb with spices for a Jewish burial program. They're going to wrap this body in spices and put these linen cloths around them, kind of sort of mummify. They have no thought that Jesus has risen from the dead. They do not believe that he rose from the dead. They believe that he's dead and they're going to go take care of the burial, right? They get there, and of course, he's not there because he's risen from the dead, like he said. By the way, if you didn't know this, Jesus died for our sins and rose from the dead. And when we put our faith in him, we are saved, our sins are forgiven, and we're launched into a new life. And it's good news. So there they are. They show up. Angels show up, which is kind of cool. And they're like freaking out. And the angels go, what are you doing here? He's risen, just like he said. Go tell the guys. And they're like, whoa, Mary Magdalene hangs on a little later, and she actually runs into Jesus, thinking he's the gardener. So they run off, and they tell the men. And the men go, you guys are crazy, and they don't believe the women. These are the apostles of Jesus who are going to change the world. They don't understand. They don't believe. In fact, the language that Luke, who's a doctor, uses is they thought that the women were talking like someone speaks when they have a fever dream. Seemed like utter nonsense. So they don't believe it. A little while later in the day, Sunday, what we call Easter Sunday, there's a couple disciples. They're walking on a seven-mile um, kind of walk to another village. And they're talking about the day. And they're talking about the women told this story about, you know, a vision or something. Well, this is so confusing. And Jesus, we hope to. And they're like sad. And, and Jesus walks up and starts walking with them. But somehow he disguises himself and they don't know who he is. So he's like, what are you guys talking about? Why are you so depressed today? And they're like, what are you, the visitor, only visitor in Jerusalem? Didn't you know there was this prophet guy named Jesus? And he, we had hoped he was going to be the Messiah. And well, all our hope was in, but he was killed. And then this morning, some of our women said that they saw a vision or something. And we don't know what's going on. And he's like, oh, you foolish people. So slow to believe what all the prophets have said. And from that moment, as they're walking on a seven-mile journey, he tells them, starting in the books of Moses, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and going through all the law and prophets, what we call the Old Testament, he reminds them of everything that spoke about him. And he said, didn't you know that the Messiah must suffer and die and be raised again? Why are you so foolish and unbelieving? They show up to the town where they're going, seven miles is ended, and he acts like he's going to go farther. And they say, you know, it's evening, why don't you join us for dinner? He says, okay. So he joins us for dinner, and he picks up a bread to break it and bless it, and suddenly he lets their eyes be open to know who he was. And then, it's like, beam me up, Scotty, he disappears. <laughs> did, did you believe that part, by the way, or you think, oh, that's probably not true? No, that's what happened. Just like, bing, He's gone. They're like, whoa, it was Jesus. Wasn't our heart burning inside of us when he was talking? So they jump up and book it back to Jerusalem, seven miles back. I think they're jogging this time. They get there. They meet the rest of the disciples. They're in a room, and, they, and the disciples tell them, Simon's seen Jesus, Peter. They're like, well, it was true. We see him too. He's really alive. And they're like, what's going on? And suddenly Jesus, beam me down, Scott. He shows up in the midst of them, and he says, you guys, kind of slaps him. He <laughs> doesn't really, but it's like, come on, what is wrong with you? Didn't you know? On the evening of that first week when the disciples were together, John 20, 19, I'm reading, with the doors locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. 
After this, he showed him his hands and his feet and his side, the wounds. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, he said, peace be with you, shalom. The presence of the kingdom, the presence of the future be experienced by you now, peace, shalom. That's what that all means, by the way. Peace be with you as the Father has sent me. I'm sending you. And with that, he breathed on and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Now, many scholars, and I would lean this way, would think at this moment, they had a born-again experience. They believed in Jesus, but Jesus had not died and risen from the grave and ascended to the Father. Now he has. He breathes on them, and they receive the Holy Spirit. If you have given your life to Jesus, you put your faith in him, you've had this experience. You've received the Holy Spirit. He is in you. If you do not have the Holy Spirit in you, then you haven't yet been born again, and you need to give your life to Jesus today so you can have the Holy Spirit in you because it's a good way to live. So that's, that's what we think. So he says that to them, continuing. Um, while, I'm, I'm reading now from Luke 24. While they were still talking about you know, this, what, what happened with Jesus, uh, we were on the road to Emmaus, and, you know, and then Simon saw him. While this happened, Jesus shows up. Peace be with you. Same story from Luke's perspective. They were startled and frightened, thought they saw a ghost. These guys are going to change the world. They don't recognize Jesus. It must be a ghost. So they're superstitious, too. He said to them, why are you so troubled? Why do doubts rise in your mind? Look at my hands. Look at my feet. It's me. Touch me. See me. A ghost doesn't have flesh and bones. As you see, I have. Showed him his hands and feet. And they still not believe because of the joy and amazement. He goes, by the way, you got anything to eat? He's just being human. I guess you're hungry after being crucified. So they go get some food. <laughs> Give him a piece of broiled fish. By the way, the, there was a, later there would be lies and talk and false thinking that said, you know, Jesus didn't really physically rise from that. It was some kind of spiritual experience. No, this is the body of a human, restored, resurrected, same carbon, same atoms, risen from the dead, alive, and he eats fish. I would have had steak, but he's eating fish. And he said, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that's written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, before I read this, let me just pause and say this. I'm going to tell you three things that I think are happening that make them be ordinary people who can do extraordinary things. One is that they have a revelation of the risen Christ. I hope you've had a revelation of the risen Christ. And two, he gives them a message. Here's the message. This is what was written. The Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I'm going to send you what my Father has promised. And here's the third thing that's going to change everything. So they have a revelation of the risen Jesus. They have a message from Jesus, and I'm going to send you what my Father has promised, but stay in the city till you've been clothed with power from on high. So there's going to be another kind of experience with the Holy Spirit. They've just received the Holy Spirit. He breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit, but he says, you're going to wait because you're going to get some more that's going to really help you do what I've called you to do. You with me? And you'll remember that we read last week, Thomas actually wasn't in the room at this point. 
So he comes later and does that whole thing I just described to you. Where he's like, they said, Jesus was here. He breathed on us. We received the Holy Spirit. And he's like, yeah, right. You guys are nutso. I saw him die. He's an apostle. Judas has committed suicide. All is lost. What are we going to do? They're like, no. Well, I'm not going to believe. And then Jesus shows up a week later. And we read that last week. So the next following Sunday, Jesus does it again. And now Thomas believes and he's restored to faith. Jump over now, I don't know if you're following your Bibles, but I'm going to read from you from Acts. So that's the sequel to Luke. After his suffering, after his crucifixion, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive, like eating broiled fish, for example. If you didn't know this, listen to this next phrase. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. So he's training them in the kingdom of God, the reign and the rule of God. And the next sentence indicates he's telling them a particular thing about the kingdom of God. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days, spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating, he gave them this command. So this, I think, from context, structure of this writing, this is about the kingdom of God. Don't leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you've heard me speak about. John baptized with water, but a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. I think that's an essential key to operating the works of Jesus and bringing the demonstration of the kingdom of God. We need to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. More than the indwelling of the Spirit, we need some kind of an empowering thing. These disciples needed it. We need it today. Some of you experienced that while we were worshiping, by the way. So they asked him again, are, are you going to restore the kingdom of Israel? Is this the part where we get to have the big jobs in the government? And he goes, you guys, it's not for you to know the times or the days the Father has sent. Don't worry about trying to figure out the future in all your details. It's a good morning for us today. Just forget about that, but focus on this. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses. Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. That might see, for us, that would be in Oceanside, in San Diego County, to the ends of the earth. You might be sent to Kenya. You might be sent to Zambia. We're going there in July, aren't we, Michelle? You will be witnesses to the ends of the earth. Now, just know this. As you read through Acts, if you'll read it again, by the way, I'd recommend it, you'll see a number of phrases to describe the experience that they're about to have. You'll see phrases like this. You'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. He had just said, you'll be clothed with power, another way to say it. You'll be filled with the Spirit. The Spirit will come upon you. You'll receive the Holy Spirit. All those words, as you read the book of Acts, describe these circumstances that happen again and again. I think if we were to take a, you know, a long time and do a class today, what we would discover is there's at least three things that stand out in my mind that happen from the power of the Holy Spirit. One is they're empowered to be effective witnesses. Listen, you can talk your friends till they're blue in the face or till you're blue in the face. Does anyone turn blue when you talk? I don't know that phrase. <laughs> talk a lot. But if you don't have the power of the Holy Spirit, nothing good is going to happen. But you can mumble your way and barely communicate, and if the power of the Holy Spirit's present, it's not up to you, it's up to Him. 
and the kingdom of God will come. I believe that the, we need the power of the Holy Spirit to baptize us, to clothe us with power, to fill us, that we receive him so that we can be effective witnesses, so that when we do our holy hellos, something happens more than this. Something happens like this. And the power of God comes and lives are changed. You need this. Remember, we're a church planning team right now. You need the Holy Spirit. So your conversations, you have effective witness. The second thing that we often forget, but listen to this, is important. The Holy Spirit coming upon us empowers us to supernaturally love each other. Probably the biggest evidence of the Holy Spirit at work is love. Jesus taught it, it's all through the New Testament, that people would see the way the people of God love each other, the way they're a manifestation of Jesus and they're a manifestation of his kingdom in their city and they're drawn to seeing them love. This is the primary evidence of how a little band of insignificant people took over the Roman Empire because they loved each other. While the Romans were having a plague and people were thrown out in the streets to die, the Christians were saying, oh, we love those people, they're valuable, and they'd take them in at risk of their own lives and care for the ones that were thrown on the streets. They'd feed the hungry, they'd bring in the homeless, they'd go to the sick, they'd minister in love, and it changed the Roman Empire. More than miracles. Effective witness, supernatural love, and the third thing would be the acts of the kingdom of God, where they prophesy and they heal the sick and you know, they do miracles and the blind see and the deaf hear. I believe in all of that stuff, but it's not the only thing that happens when the power of the Holy Spirit comes on us. Don't miss that. Effective witness. If I'm not being effective in my witness, I need to go back and say, Holy Spirit, I need some power. Come and power my words. Oh, look at the time. Are you having fun? Should I keep talking a little more? Tell you a story. Um, there was a guy in the 1800s who was a lawyer who was having trouble becoming a believer, a Christian. Um, but in 1821, on October 10th, a guy named Charles Grandison Finney had an experience of knowing the risen Jesus, understanding the message of the gospel, and he was born again. And that night... He went into his lawyer's office, and he was baptized with the Holy Spirit. His, here's his words in his journal. But as I turned and was about to take a seat by the fire, I received a mighty baptism of the Holy Ghost. Um, lo long time ago, people called spirit ghost. So if you hear ghost, Holy Ghost is the old way of saying Holy Spirit now. Without any expectation of it. He gets saved in the morning. He's in his lawyer's office tonight, and the Holy Spirit shows up. No explanation. No expectation. Without ever having the thought of it in my mind that there was any such thing for me, without my recollection that I'd ever even heard the thing mentioned by any person in the world, the Holy Ghost descended on me in a manner that seemed to go through me, body and soul. I could feel the impression like a wave of electricity going through me. Indeed, it seemed to come in waves and waves of liquid love. For I could not express it in any other way. It seemed like the very breath of God. I can re recollect distinctly that it seemed to fan me like immense wings. No words can express the wonderful love that was shred abroad in my heart. That's Romans 5, by the way. I wept aloud 
with joy and love, and I did not know, but I should say I literally bellowed out the unutterable gushings of my heart. The waves came over me and over me, one after another, until I recollect I cried out, I shall die if these waves continue to pass over me. I said, Lord, I can't bear it anymore. Yet I had no fear of death, baptism in the Holy Spirit. How long I continued in this state with this baptism continuing to roll over me and go through me, I do not know. But I know it was late in the evening when a member of my choir, for I was the leader of the choir, came into the office to see me in this state of loud weeping. He's like weeping, crying out. Lord, stop, you're going to kill me, but don't stop, this is awesome, you know, just the love. And she said, Mr. Finney, what ails you? I could make no answer for some time. He said, are you in pain? I said, no, but so happy that I cannot live. He turned and left the office. In a few minutes, he turned with one of the elders of the church. (laughs) Elder was a very serious man. Never seen him laugh. When he came in, I was very much in the state in which I was when that young man went out and called him. He asked how I felt, and I began to tell him. And instead of saying anything, he fell into a most spasmodic laughter. (laughs) It seemed as if it was impossible for him to keep from laughing from the very bottom of his heart. Strange things. By the way, sometimes when the Holy Spirit is moving in power, this is in the 1800s, and this is all through revival history. You've heard of laughter before probably, where it's like, what's going on? Those Christians are crazy. Must be out of order. Well, okay. What happened, here's from his biography. By 1832, Finney's revival movement had added several hundred thousand to the churches. He went out and began to share the gospel, and what's known as the Second Great Awakening happened in America. His campaign in Rochester, New York in 1842, his campaign means he was just preaching, seemed to prepare the way for an extensive revival of of 43 and 44, and in 56 or 57. The people who were led by Christ directly or indirectly by Finney through his personal campaigns, writings, and encouragement and prayer probably brought a million more people into the kingdom of God. Um. As, as this story progresses in the New Testament with these ordinary people, in the third chapter um, of Acts, Peter and John go and a miraculous healing comes. They get arrested because they're preaching Jesus. They are filled with the Spirit again, and Peter speaks with such authority to the Sanhedrin, the leaders, the Supreme Court of Israel, that they take note and go, well, these men have been with Jesus. They're not even educated, but they are talking with so much power and authority. Holy Spirit power and authority, effective witness, love, working of miracles. At the end of chapter 4, all those people that had been filled with the Spirit in Acts chapter 2, which I didn't even read to you, in Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit's poured out, and there's just waves of prophecy, evangelism. In one day, 3,000 people are added to their church. And they're loving each other. They're sacrificing their money. They're feeding each other. Some people are selling land if they have extra land to make sure there's enough money to take care of everything that needs to be taken care of. They're just extreme crazy generosity, extreme love, effective witness. And they go and they pray again. And you know what happens? They're filled with the Spirit again. And I say this to make sure that you understand if we were to do a full study 
of the workings of the Holy Spirit, that this experience of being empowered, of being baptized, of being clothed with power from on high happens again and again and again and again. Someone said, why? And they said, I don't know, maybe we leak. (laughs) Whatever the case is, we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit to be empowered to be the church planning team that we're called to be, to take the gospel of Jesus to our city, to bring the good news to the poor, to bind up the brokenhearted, to open blind eyes, to open deaf ears, to minister this message that Jesus is the Messiah who had to suffer and die, be raised again, and that by faith in his name, people will have forgiveness of their sins and enter a new life. That's the message, and the activity is the love and the power. And the source of all of this were the three things I want to remind us for ordinary people doing extraordinary things. Am I talking too fast? Okay, because I know I sometimes just throttle it down to first. One, we need a revelation of the risen Christ, and probably everyone in here has had that. If not, you heard me saying it. Jesus has risen from the dead. He's conquered death in the grave, sin and Satan. And if we put our faith in him, we're made alive, our sins are forgiven, and we're made new. And we don't have to fear a separation from God in our death that's called hell. We can embrace the hope and the exciting future of being in the very presence of God for eternity, and that's called heaven. A revelation of the risen Christ, a message that I just said to you, and the power of the Holy Spirit. We need all of that. So we press in, we worship, we ask him. We're gonna, right now, we're going to take, as we end this service, we're going to take a little break, and we're going to come right back and do what I announced to you. I'm sorry I didn't tell you if this is your visitor. You're welcome to join us. We're doing about four weeks of prayer and fasting after church. What that means is we're going to break, and we're going to take an hour to pray together. Someone's going to lead us kind of in a prayer time. And we're going to do like these disciples did who sought the Lord. They sought the Lord for his provision, for his guidance, and especially for the outpouring of his spirit so they could be empowered to do what they were called to do. We're doing that for four weeks. This will be the second week. We won't do it on Mother's Day next week. Honor the mothers. The following week we'll get back at it, we think. We're going to pray. We're going to fast lunch. Not a huge fasting, but if you can, there's power in fasting. We're going to seek God. We did it last week. We're going to do that for about an hour when we're done here. Did I communicate that well? You all follow? Okay. The first disciples were fearful, disillusioned, confused. They didn't even believe. And Jesus said, doesn't matter. It's not up to you. It's up to me. So wherever you are, if you've been sinning and you feel like you're a failure and God can't use you, Forget that. Come back to Jesus. The message is he's going to redeem your life and he's going to send you out. We've got to get the truth that is in the Bible that says this. In your weakness, my strength is perfected. You don't have to be strong. In fact, you might be better when you're weak because then it's all about God and his spirit and his work and not about us. And we can't take any credit because he's used the weak things of the world to confound the wise. Foolish things to confound the wise, the weak things to confound the strong. I almost landed it and I started preaching again, huh? So, you guys, in some sense, there's some numbers that look scary for a community 
We, we have financial problems we talked about last week. Things got to change in that realm, but the answer is not fear. The answer is to press into what God has called us to do and be, to commit ourselves to loving Jesus passionately, because when we abide in his love, there will be fruit in our life. He promised it. To commit ourselves to being a people who take that message. I just use it like this. I said, let's be inviters. All the time, we're inviting people to follow Jesus with us. That's building churches. We love Jesus. We're committed to him. We're committed to grow together with him. We're inviting people, and we're giving generously of our time, of our talent, and our treasure. And if if you're part of this thing with me, I'm telling you, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give all that I have, as long as I have, as much as I have, as much as I can, I committed that to Jesus when I was 14. I told you that last week. And he called me to renew the, the contract. And he said he's going to renew the contract. That's what I understood him to say. So I invited you to join me to renew the contract. Whatever your contract is with God, renew it. If you said, I'm going to follow you with all I have, I'm going to serve you in your church with all I have, renew that contract. Because it's a time of renewing, recommitting, being all in for Jesus and his cause through his church to do the work of Jesus in our world. We have no fears. We have resources. We have the Holy Spirit. We have each other. We even have physical resources that he's entrusted to us. We have no lack. We have everything we need to thrive and flourish as the community that he's called us to be. Are you with me? Okay, let's go. (laughs) And let's go with an attitude of loving the Lord, loving each other, and serving our community. I made my voice quiet because I want you to hear the Spirit. Much of the church in America says, we're going to take back the church for America. (laughs) And I don't have that approach. How about we're going to love people and we're going to come with humility. We're not going to claim our rights. We're going to claim that Jesus loves people. We're going to do the works of the kingdom with humility, but with power. Get it? Because God is with us. <laughs> Remember the word to Mary, with God, all things are possible. Remember the words of Romans 8, if God be for us, who can be against us? Not life, not death, not powers, not principalities, not things above, not things beneath. There's nothing that can separate us from the love of God. Let's stand together. I don't know, Kent, if you want to, maybe we'll worship. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to end our gathering. Some of you want to leave. You're visiting, perhaps. Um, So we'll have a a few minutes. And then we'll shift right back into a time of prayer. We're seeking God. We're calling on God. We're outpoured spirit upon this church to meet our needs and to, to take us into the future an hour. So we'll we'll just take about, I don't know, five minutes. Lord, we love you. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you draw every person in this building, every person that's watching on Facebook Live, every person that's on Zoom, into a pursuit of you. If you are hearing my voice, people, and you have not offered your life to Jesus, 
Today is the day of salvation. Turn to him and say, Jesus, I believe. I trust you. I give you my life. I trust you that you're my Savior. I trust that my faith in you and your work on the cross and resurrection will wipe away all my sins. I choose to follow you for the rest of my life. Now fill me with your spirit. Lord, hear the prayers of us, your people. Be pleased to pour your spirit out upon us. And now may the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face to shine upon you and give you rest. The Lord himself lift up his countenance on you. He fills you and empowers you to be his people at this time, at this place, for the presentation of Jesus to this world, for the representation of his kingdom to this world. God bless you. Amen. We hope you've enjoyed this message. This weekly podcast is available on our website, gracevcf.org, where you can learn more about Grace Vineyard and our vision for people everywhere to know and worship God.